This week's episode features an interview with April Tucker. April Tucker has been one of our behind-the-scenes Soundgirls podcast members for a long time, helping us choose our editors and get them trained up so that they can edit the episodes that you hear. April Tucker has been described as a Jane of all trades, performing nearly every major role in post-production sound over her career in Los Angeles. Foley, ADR mixer, dialogue editor, music editor, score mixer, sound designer, sound supervisor, re-recording mixer, and you can check her IMDb page. She has so, so many credits. Uh, Our discussion today is super exciting. We focus on different jobs and different uh, careers that you can have within the industry because she's had almost all of them in post-production. And then she also has been writing a textbook. So hopefully you enjoy this episode. If you want to work in audio post, it is a must listen. April, thank you so much for getting onto our podcast. We've been trying to get you on for a little while now, and you've done some stuff for us behind the scenes, like um, helping us pick editors and getting them trained up and stuff like that. So I'm really happy that we were finally able to get you on. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's so exciting. Um, So your background, I took a peek at your website because uh, we'd never met in person, but we've talked through emails and stuff like that. So I wanted to, um, you know, just browse your stuff and see uh, before we talk today. And I was so surprised at the number of like credits that you have on your IMDb. Um, Can you tell us how you got started uh, in post-production? Uh, yeah. And is that where you first started working at all or, or how you got into sound in general? Well, I got into sound in general. Um, so I came into the industry in school in 1999, 2000-ish. Um, and back then, if you wanted to find a music production program, like it, they weren't really well known. Um, so I actually had to go to the internet lab at my college that I was at um, because at the time you didn't have a phone or uh, even internet Your own in the computer. dorms. Yeah, so I had to go there and I said, what kind of careers exist in music outside of being a performer? Um, found this program in that was music technology, music recording. I said, I have no idea what that is, but it sounds fun. Studied it for six years, loved it, moved to LA. And I said, you know, I'm gonna go be a record producer. I wanna go work for Capitol Records or something. And quickly found that I came to LA in 2004. And this was around the time when, when um, you know, we're going into the recession. The music st- studios were starting to kind of dwindle. Met a ton of people who worked in music, and they all said to me, go get into post. They're like, if you want to ever own a house or have financial stability, don't get into music. Do it as your side hustle or a hobby. And so I was offered a job at a music studio and a post studio the same week, um, and I took the post job. And I didn't like post in college. It didn't appeal to me whatsoever. I didn't really see the value in it. But um, what I've learned is that post-production is basically music production, but without the box of music. So you're still creative. You're still being innovative. You're still collaborating with people, but it's not within the conversation of melody and you know rhythm and music style. You could be talking about anything at all. I mean, it, it really takes it into sound as a much broader conversation, which is what I really love about it. But a lot of my early credits came from working at that studio. I worked there for three years and um, just being around, I'd, they'd be like, hey, go do this voiceover session. Hey, you want to do some Foley? Um, 
we need, the mixers need some tech help. Go in there and, and help them. And then I'd be able to sit on the stage, which is what I've come to learn, especially through writing this textbook that's coming out soon, is um, that's kind of rare now. Those opportunities don't exist near to the degree they did 15 years ago. And that's one of the challenges of getting into both music and post today is that it's not like you can just ask somebody to bring you on as an intern and go hang out at their studio for six months and have your bills paid. <laughs> yeah, why do you think that is? Because we have so much content that's constantly being created. I can't imagine that they wouldn't need people. Yeah, and so, well, okay, so let me, I'll backtrack a little bit. So I just finished writing this book called Finding Your Career Path in the Modern Audio Industry. And part of why I wrote the book was because I was, I've been following and involved with Sound Girls for, you know, six, seven years now. And on the Facebook group, people ask all the time, where can I find a job? Where can I find a job? And I started writing blog posts to kind of help answer some of those questions. So I could just point to that, that page every time the same question came up. But, mm -hmm. um, and eventually it evolved into a book. And one of the things that I found while talking to people for the book, and I talked to um, close to 70 or 80 people interviewed on Zoom from around the world, um, Lots of sound girls will be included in there. And the thing I found is that um, social media really changed things. So well, actually there's, there's two big things. One is that 20 years ago, 40 years ago, 60 years ago, if you wanted to work in a music studio, you wanted to work in post-production, you had to be in that physical location because of the equipment. You know, they had the analog mm -hmm. tapes. Like even when I came into the industry, they had these um, digibeta machines and HDSR, which was, hundred thousand dollars for a deck so none of us would have oh, that yeah we wouldn't have that at home so i remember even being offered a show at home this was you know two thousand during the 2000s ish that um and i was like i'd love to do the show and have all the money but i can't do the tape laybacks that they need so i had to go to a studio whereas now anybody like even my four-year-old, five-year-old can, my five-year-old son can um, download an app and make a video. He loves making videos. Mm -hmm. um, you know, anybody can download Audacity and call themselves a podcast editor. Anyone can download Pro Tools and say that they're a recording engineer. Um, and actually, what, there was a quote in the book, Piper Payne said, um, you know, the, the castle and a moat mentality, the fact that that's gone away is it's good for the art, but it's bad for people trying to make a living doing it. Yeah. I mean, even this podcast, we have editors that, that edit it, but there is a thing built in where it will like automatically mix all of your stuff for you. So you just have to like click magic edit or whatever, and it pops it out. Um, we don't use that, but, <laughs> but you could very easily, you know, you don't have to worry about how to use an editor because it just does it for you. Yeah, and I know that's, that is something that I looked into a little bit about um, AI and like what, what are the chances of our, go our jobs going away. And I think realistically there's always going to be a need for clients who want human interaction. There's going to be clients who require a level of nuance. Like any, any filmmaker, indie filmmaker, putting their, their blood, sweat, and tears and all their money into years of their life into making a movie, they probably don't want to stick it into some software that's just going to mix it for them. They want a human who's yeah. going to add an element of it that's that's going to make it the best it possibly can be. But the difficulty now is trying to reach 
those people. And where and the other aspect I was saying about social media is is a lot of this shifted around the time that social media came in because it used to be that let's say you wanted to work at Capitol Records and you wanted to be a runner because you want to get into music production. You either had to know someone on staff, you had to have access to Paula, the, the studio manager. You know, you had to have some way to, to slip your resume in that it actually would get looked at. Um, right. And, and this is something I heard across the industry that whether you're getting into AV or music studios or post-production, for somebody who gets 10 resumes a day, like Tina Morris at The Village in LA, if one comes through and they say, hey, I know, you know, Susan recommended me and she knows you, she's going to look at it. And she talked about this yeah. in a, um, a webinar that we did for Sound Girls. Um, but the thing is, a lot of people today go, I don't want to do that. Why should I sit and, and, and wait for my turn when I could just go do this myself? And then you can go find those people that you want to work with on social media. You can join a Facebook group. You can follow them on Instagram. Um, you could make TikTok videos and maybe someone reaches out to you. And that is really the new model of building a career in the audio industry. That's so fascinating because that's not where a lot of people my age group or older are going to look to try to get our jobs. But we get our jobs from that networking, like you said, like people who know us or we have mutual acquaintances or friends. So is there still that mix between like are some of these older people who are offering jobs going to like be watching those TikTok videos? I don't know. And that's, yeah, it's interesting. So this is where it really comes down to thinking about your career as sales and marketing. Um, and another thing about the book is initially I set out to write a book about business. I was like, this should be about how to be freelance in the audio industry. And I quickly found when I was talking to people that that's a pretty boring topic, but everybody loves talking about career paths. So I said, okay, I'll pivot it. We'll reframe this and, and take it another direction. Um, and so another thing I found, there's this huge divide between people who came into the industry before, uh, it was around 2011, 2012, because back then, Facebook, you couldn't send a private message. Twitter, you couldn't send a direct message. Um, so you would have to friend somebody and put on their public feed, like, hey, how are you doing today? And it was also considered a little weird. Like, I remember when I came into the industry, if, if, um, if I was going to email somebody, I had to say, hi, so-and-so, I got your contact information from this person I know. Like, you just wouldn't yeah. really... Like, and if I were to message someone on, if I'm sorry, if I were to try to friend someone on Facebook, it would be, or my, MySpace back then or whatever, it would have been a little bit creepy. Whereas today, yeah. if, if someone were to message me through Facebook, I wouldn't think anything of it. I'd respond to it. I'd help them out, you know, because somebody took the initiative. So mm -hmm. I think part of finding a career today is, one, you kind of have to have a goal. You have to figure out what it is you're trying to pursue. And then you have to figure out how to reach those people. So like for, for theater, um, theater's still, you know, you're gonna be working with a group of people, but let's say you wanna connect with um, A1 mixers, A2 mixers, or sound designers. So that becomes your target. Send an email to a sound designer. Jessica Paz, you know, she's, she's said on, on uh, webinars before, she's the one who did uh, Town, won a Tony for, uh, on Broadway. She said, I love it when people reach out to me. You go to her website, there's a contact form, you send her a message. And she says, you know, I try to help people out. Um, 
And that's something that wouldn't have happened 20, 30 years ago. Then there's also, um, you know, so if you're trying to go through the traditional channels, the old school channels, so to speak, um, yeah, you have to figure out, is it better to reach people in person? Is it better to, you know, to meet them at an event, to reach out to them on social media, to hang out in a Facebook group that they, fa that they hang out in? You know, if you, if you were active in the Sound Girls Facebook group and there's a bunch of people who are very active in there, they'll start to get to know you. It's kind of like hanging out at the same bar, or the same, you know, industry events or whatever. Mm -hmm. But then for music especially, if you're trying to connect with artists who aren't associated with the studio, who, you know, or you want to write your own music, that is really the crowd that, that's going to be thinking about content creation, where you're just going to have to connect with people however you can. Like, you're probably not going to be going on Facebook and messaging, I don't know, Trina Shoemaker and saying, hey, can I come work for you? That's probably not the type of work <laughs> that you're looking for. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. What about, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't go on Facebook. Like, for me, that was like a thing in college when you had to... God, I feel so old. Um, when I was in college, you had to have a college email address to sign up for Facebook. So for me, I signed up with my college email address. I used it for college. And then after that, after university, I just didn't really need to use it anymore. Yeah. Um, do you use social media? I don't think media? that's how. I do use you, Instagram. Like, like, okay. So Instagram is a great one. And actually, I had a, a, there was a great quote uh, in the book where someone says, if your studio is not on Instagram, it doesn't exist. Um, yeah, okay. And, and what the, the big concept of this is, um, and I got this phrase from a guy named John McLucas, who's a music producer, content creator. He's amazing. His content's amazing. Um, he calls it watering holes. So, mm -hmm. you know, 20, 30 years ago, everyone would have said, go to concerts, go hang out at the local music venues and just go meet people. But if you think about it, you might go to a show or an open mic for four hours and you might get one name. Whereas... Yeah. If you hang out on Instagram while you're watching a movie or doing something else and you start following people, you start talking to them, that's no different than talking to someone at the show. It's the exact same thing. It's just a different way of connecting with people. And so even mm -hmm. on Instagram, if, if there's someone that, you know, you have friends that you just engage on their content, you know, you just respond to what they're saying or um, you follow people who you find interesting. And again, you just kind of start engaging there becomes this familiarity because you're seeing the same people the same way as say you were living in LA and just floating between studios like that's how I think a lot of people build a reputation is because you just would see them at the same places you'd run into them at Capitol Records or the Village or or um, or wherever um, mm -hmm. and same thing in post-production it'd be like okay yeah I saw you at Paramount I saw you at Fox um, and then you, you might just kind of assume that that person knows what they're doing just because they're working at all these places. And it kind of becomes the same thing. If you, if you see someone on Instagram and you're like, um, actually, I'll use a real example. So years and years ago, I was in a LinkedIn group and LinkedIn groups aren't really popular anymore. And I saw uh, someone respond to a post and, and made a comment about how she likes to mix in her bunny slippers. And I was like, okay, one, this person's funny. And two, it's a woman who's a mixer. And so I reached out and it was Carol Urban, um, who has gone on to become a, a major figure in the um, post-production sound in LA. Mm -hmm. um, you know, she's president of the Cinema Audio Society right now. And we quickly became friends. Like she came to LA, we met up, 
And it, it, that was a, that was literally because she posted a funny comment in a LinkedIn group. That, I mean, that's adorable. Yeah. <laughs> it, it can really happen that easily. And that's why, you know, in this industry, there's nothing wrong with reaching out to people. Like if someone says something you think is interesting, send them a message and, and say, hey, I really enjoyed this. If you see a video about them, you know, that maybe they, they gave an interview or something, send them an email. If you can find their email address, just say, hey, I really enjoyed this. It's so funny, I see your cat back there. And I, I know. Usually my, usually my four cats are in here going meow, 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 like all through yeah. everything that I do. He can't be excluded even for a second. Oh my gosh, she's cute. Yeah. But you know what? So this is interesting. So I, I spoke to someone. Um, so her name's Megan Fraser. She's a VR sound designer who used to work in sales. So she was like straight up sales, like I'm going to give you a business card and closing deals to I want to work in the audio industry doing VR. And she was saying even doing things like this, right? The fact that you and I are, even though our listeners won't know, but we're, we're seeing each other's faces. I know that you wear glasses. I know that you have a, an adorable cat. So maybe if we see each other at AES in New York, or I'm in Florida for something and just happen to see you, it's like we have this, this shared experience already, mm-hmm. even if it wasn't in person. So I think that's it's really kind of what, what the, the gist of it is, is that you can find ways to connect with people in this industry. You start small, you build up, and over time, you know, people just become more familiar with you and more comfortable with you, and that's the relationship that turns into work. Yeah, I think uh, we, as a as a whole culture, we've changed the way that we see connecting with people, and that's especially over the past few mm-hmm. years because it's so accessible now for me to be able to talk to you. You're in LA, I'm in Central Florida. We are thousands of miles away, um, but we did. We've managed to find a time where we could connect and have this conversation, and it's just it's amazing that we're able to do that. And I think you know, obviously, the advancement of technology has allowed that to happen. But also that willingness is there, where I don't know if it, if it was yeah, there it, ten years ago. You know, there there might not have been a willingness to have that, uh, even phone call or you know FaceTime was FaceTime a thing ten years ago? I don't know. <laughs> yes, well, and that's that's another good point that, that especially from the p- pandemic, it's really like I'm almost getting to the point that I prefer doing video calls with people versus um, a phone call. And, and that's a really good point. Like when I moved to LA, I remember I had, there was one connection that it was someone who I just caught him on the phone and talked to him for half an hour. And the advice was amazing. But then when I met him years later, he didn't remember me. Whereas I have a feeling if we had met in person or done video chat, it might've been more memorable. And I think that people would have been open to it. It's just so tricky because I think, you know, we used to think there was that castle in a moat mentality. So it was like, how one, how am I going to reach this person? How am I going to stand out? And that still exists a little bit. But at the same time, if you send out 10 messages to people, you know, you watch a webinar and there's five people on it and you reach out to all of them, maybe one of them will respond back to you, but maybe that's the one person mm-hmm. who you connect with. And actually, let's all share another story. So when I was at AES in 2019, um, and I was on a Sound Girls panel. <clears throat> and afterwards, you and in the panel, we were talking a lot about, you know, just reach out to people. And this was Piper Payne, Catherine Vericoli, uh, Jerry Palumbo, um, uh, I'm trying to think, Leslie Gaston Bird, Carrie Keys, 
Kirkheis. We've had and, almost a hundred percent of that panel Pinona. on the podcast, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and it was so fun. And we all kind of had the same things to say about networking and getting in. But one of the things we kept saying was, yeah, just come talk to us afterwards. Mm-hmm. We're all cool. And it was really interesting because there was probably a hundred people maybe at the, at the event. And afterwards I had three or four people reach out to me. I had two ask for my contact. I had one who actually reached out to me. He was in, he lived in LA. He just happened to be at AES. He was so nervous. I mean, just incredibly nervous to even say, hi, I'm from LA, you know, and I'm trying to get into post-production. And then I met up with him for dinner. I bought him dinner. I was happy to, you know, because I was like, it was nice of him to, you know, to to be the one person that reached out. That's exciting for me. Um, And two, two, three years later, like we're still in touch. Um, I've recommended him for stuff because, you know, I know he's a nice guy and I know that he actually follows through. So I've heard other people say too that, um, that they, uh, oh, that they, that they speak at events and they say, reach out to me. And that only a couple people talk to them afterwards. And of those people that only a few of them Mm -hmm. even turn into anything, but yet all those people have connections. You know, everybody has, even if it's an introduction to somebody else that keeps you moving in your career, even if you feel like the work that you're doing day to day is I I find myself, because uh, I have students every single month, so you, you might be familiar with the way like Full Sail operates, is we have like 20 to 50 students literally every month. So that's like, you know, hundreds and hundreds a year. And there's a, there's a good mix of ones that are just scared to death to talk to anybody, and they're just so shy or they're just mm-hmm. afraid of something I don't feel like we're scary I feel like your teachers are probably the most approachable (laughs) out of anyone um there's they're either really scared to talk to us or like really overconfident and you know there's not that many in between it's just a really interesting mix of these like you know 18 19 year olds coming in that it's fascinating (laughs) yeah and it is fascinating, and um, you know it's interesting because I've I've started to do a little bit of um, I don't I don't I don't know if I'd call it career counseling, but like you know just starting to talk to people more about younger people. So now that I have all this information, I'm starting to talk to, to more younger people about um, what they're or people who are looking to get into the industry mm-hmm. about where they're at and where their heads at. And I hear that a lot that um, that the idea of reaching out to someone you don't know. It's uncomfortable. It feels kind of salesy, but the fact is, it's not. I mean, this industry is about making friends, and it doesn't matter whether you're in AV, if you're in television, if you're trying to design microphones. It all is about relationships, and especially if you're getting into a smaller niche, like let's say you're interested in archiving. You know, you could you could reach out to Jessica Thompson, and she would probably be thrilled that somebody was interested in archiving and wanted to learn about it. And and those people will Yeah, because it's really... like a small, tiny thing. And, and people love to share what passionate about. So, yeah. I mean, if you do meet that one person that does that one unique thing, you got to be their friend. You've got to reach out. Yeah. And also, like, would you feel comfortable if someone who wasn't a student, like, let's say they're going to school somewhere else, but they looked at your LinkedIn, and they said, wow, this is really cool. You worked at Disney World. Could I, could I ask you what that experience was like? Would you respond to their email? I always respond. I, it does take me a little bit to, 
to see it because I'm terrible at logging into that stuff. But I do respond, and I've gotten that from from people I don't know, or uh, they heard the podcast or someone else's podcast that you know referenced us. And I always respond. I'm I'm never going to ignore that. It just maybe it takes me a little bit too, but I always do. Totally. Yeah. And how often do you get people asking? Um, hey, do you have any work or could you recommend me for a job who you don't know versus I'm looking for information? Mm. Uh, my students or grads will hit me up for work, um, but not strangers so much. I don't get it as much anymore, but that is, that's a huge one. You know, it's kind of like the whole process. And so this process, it's, I talk about this in the book, I, I have it broken out into chapters from networking business relationships, sales and marketing. Cause that's really what this is, is the first thing is like how to meet people, how to get to be friends with them, and then how to work together. And it's actually pretty similar to dating. You know, mm -hmm. where do you find people you'd want to date? How do you, you know, identify that someone might be a good fit or not? Okay, you're serious, What what's the next step? And then, all right, we're gonna make a marriage proposal. Um, and some people don't think of it that way and they go straight to the marriage proposal. Right. And uh, my, my friend Jeff Gross used this great analogy. He's like, it's, it's the person who's not wearing deodorant and it has horrible BO, but no one wants to tell them they have horrible BO. And we've all seen this at industry events. You know, you go to, or school events probably even, where you've got the <laughs> one person who's like, just going around either handing out their business cards or just walking up to people and like trying to, to prove themselves or like sell themselves that they're the person you need to hire. But it's like, who are you? And they're like super schmoozy, but they're they're just like throwing it out into the universe instead of targeting specific people, right? Yeah, exactly. And and whereas if you slow down, and this was actually something Megan Fraser said, and again, Megan's the one who started in sales, like salesperson job, recruiter, to getting into audio. And she said the difference in networking was if you're at a, um, the the other type style you really are handing out business cards you're thinking about closing you're thinking about numbers she said in the game industry it's about quality over quantity so you want to take the time to stay afterwards and talk to either the people who were um, the panelists or who were at the event if you listen to a webinar like there's so many you know the ask an expert sound girls are amazing there's so much great information in there even if you watch one from three years ago and you're interested with a question, find that person's email address or email Carrie and say, hey, I have a question for this person. Could I get their contact info? You will be able to get their information to reach out to them and they'll probably be thrilled to hear from you. Carrie knows everybody. Yeah. <laughs> So like I'm starting a grad a grad program in the fall and it's super niche. It's forensic oh, media. Cool. And so um, not too many people are doing that in general. It's pretty, pretty niche. And so I reached out on the Sound Girls Facebook group. You know, I actually logged in and I was like, hey, is anybody doing this? And Carrie suggested somebody. I reached out and they answered my questions. Yeah. We don't know each other. She's just doing the program. She started like a year or two ago. And it was just really cool to get uh, to meet someone who I've never I would never have known otherwise because uh, it's it's mostly an online school. So oh, that's cool. I got to make that connection and I felt really a lot better about it and I felt more reassured like okay there's other audio ladies or at least you know people in my circle 
my my circle is pretty large because of Sound Girls. Absolutely. Now. Uh, and I felt really good about and that. And if you have questions while you're through the program and you reach out to that person again, after you reach out three or four times, they'll feel like they know you. Good example of this is Leslie Gaston yeah. Bird. Um, she and I had crossed paths a gazillion ways, but we had never met in person until, um, gosh, when was it? I feel like we met at AES like maybe briefly or something. But then um, when I started writing this book, you know, I jumped on a phone call with her for an hour. She was happy to, you know, I picked her brain about like, I've never written a book. And my dad's an author. I mean, I'm really lucky. He, my dad writes textbooks. So I, I had him to ask a lot of questions. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And my mom helps edit yeah. too. So, so they both were, you know, oh, I basically great. sent everything to them. <laughs> and I was like, if you understand this, then I know my audience will. Because, you know, my parents are, they're in Colorado. They're not industry people at all. Um, Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, like Leslie has been an amazing resource for me because she had literally just finished writing Women in Audio. So I could ask her like, yeah. hey, what would you do about this? Or I have a question about that. And so over the past couple of years, I've been asking her questions. She's been a great source of help. And then, you know, I I, I definitely feel like uh, she's a, a, a friend, a good friend now, even though we've not spent that much time together in the same room. But we're all we're all on the same team. Mm-hmm. And that's the cool thing about Sound Girls is like we really... Um, we're all really looking out for each other. And it's it's so, yeah. it's a great network. You just have to tap into it in the right ways. I am so glad that we got to talk on this podcast because you're answering all of the questions that I had written out to ask you or like prompt you for. <laughs> um, so that's amazing. But it's interesting. When is I, your... Oh, I was gonna say, I didn't, I didn't write about forensic audio. And so now I'm kind of, my brain's spinning a little bit <laughs> thinking about okay, if I wanted to get into forensic audio, like, it's, it's a great example of a niche where you're like, okay, so I want to get into this. How would I go about it? I mean, did you mm-hmm. just look online for programs? The forensic audio is something that I actually didn't include in the book. And I think it's a great example of a niche. So let's say, you know, you could use, you could, anyone who's looking to kind of start a career, you could mm-hmm. replace um, forensic audio with pretty much anything. But I'm just curious, Susan, like, what was your thought process? You were like, I'm interested in learning forensic audio. So what did you do? I, uh, my fiance and I were watching endless amounts of sci-fi TV, you know, bones, um, criminal minds. Like I, I'm a true crime person. I love reading books and I love watching the shows and the movies and all of that stuff. And so I just told him like, I feel like I missed my mark. I loved my theater degree. I love being a teacher, but I feel like I'm, there is something else out there that I could do, you know, that maybe makes more of a difference. Cause you, you probably know being a teacher makes a difference, but, um, it's, you know, after you do something for 10 years, uh, maybe it's time for a change or something. So Mm-hmm. He's like, why don't you look into it? He's like, there's got to be some kind of program for that. There's got to be some kind of education. And so I did some research, you know, got on the, the Googs. And <laughs> that sounds so stupid. Um, so I did some research, like looking around. And I found uh, there are not very many programs that do it. The one that I was accepted to is the National Center for Media Forensics at the University of Colorado in Denver. Um, oh, cool. I didn't know they had that they do it's for small (laughs) and so I I checked out this program and then of course the pandemic happened and so although they're mostly online they also have like in-person workshops so I waited because I wanted to be able to do those workshops um so I waited like a year after finding out about it to actually go and tour the place and talk to them 
Um, and that's how I found it. And I asked around, I talked to some other people. I, I actually talked to the directors of that department and the assistant director just to be like, you know, this is my background, this is who I am. Is this something that would actually suit me? Like, am I <laughs> am I crazy for thinking this? Because there is an article I read, uh, I forget which magazine published it, but it was about how forensic audio is not audio engineering. And it's not, it's like kind of doing the complete opposite of what I would normally do as an editor. Instead of isolating frequencies to remove them or clean them up, you're isolating frequencies to draw attention to them and find out what that person said in the background or um, you know, that fuzzy part of the video, how can you analyze that data to figure out what it actually is, which is the opposite of what we do in post, right? We're, we're trying mm -hmm. to cover up those yeah. mistakes. Yeah. Um, and she was like, I have a theater degree. She's like, if you want to learn about science and actually use that science for um, research or other applications, she's like, it's totally for you. It's, it's for anybody who cares about um, you know, processing audio. You understand waveforms and all, you know, how compression works. She's like, you understand that stuff. So it, it's a natural fit. Um, the biggest thing she said is I'll have to learn about the uh, you know, like legal stuff. Cause like I have a theater oh, degree, not a lawyer. Um, so like, how do you make your stuff admissible in court? And if you had to be like an expert witness or, you know, testimony or whatever, they, they coach you and teach you all of that stuff as well. So that's I mean, super fascinating. Cause it's every <laughs> single job, pretty much anything in the audio industry today, you're going to have to learn a skill outside what you think you're going to have to learn. Oh, totally. And so that's interesting. Like, and so then, so then have you, um, have you done any, I'm curious if you've done anything to educate, here I go, like back into interview mode. It's all good. This stuff. Um, <laughs> did you do anything to kind of learn skills already before the program? Uh, yeah, I'm, I looked into, uh, I looked at their classes, their course list, of course, uh, and to see what was necessary for that. And so some of it is going to be, like I said, the, the law side of things, which I really don't know that much about. So, um, I got a couple of books from the library just to kind of get a better um, baseline. Um, and then using my editing software and video editing software and just getting a lot better at that because they uh, they didn't, they, they have a lot of, um, not necessarily police officers and stuff like that, but people who are in the legal realm that have to learn the audio editing because they didn't know it before. So I'm just refreshing mm -hmm. my skills on that, especially video because I don't do as much video editing. Um, so yeah, I am. Not as much as I should, uh, honestly, because you know the working three jobs kind of thing. <laughs> exactly. And that's, like, that's another good point too. Anyone who, even though you are, you know, an established professional, you're trying to pivot and that requires learning new skills. Yep building a new network. You said you reached out to someone at Soundgirls. Have you reached out to professionals doing this yet? I haven't found too many. Um, I, I've only reached out to the people through the university. Uh, so there are three people who uh, I, I've been able to talk to that are part of their department, but it's so niche. It's such a small, specific thing um, that I'm having trouble. I haven't actually found any women that are working, aside from uh, the couple I mentioned uh, that are working in that area. So um, it's it's interesting. I think I, I'm hoping that, you know, being there and, and getting to know my cohort will help with that situation. And I'll definitely Absolutely. need to make that yeah. networking there because from what I can find, there's just not, um, there's not a ton of people that do that job. So 
Do you know, are there any conventions for it or any sort of yes, events there, specific to? Uh, yes, okay. there are. And uh, part of the requirements for the degree program are that you attend those. So the next one that's, that's happening awesome. actually yeah. happens to be here in Orlando next year. So uh, I don't have to travel for that one, which is kind of cool. That's actually, so that's a really good point. So um, things like audio DSP, uh, archiving and restoration, um, some of those niches, they they do. Uh, oh, automotive. Did I say automotive audio? No. If I didn't, automotive audio. Um, those are niche. They're real niche. And so when you start participating with the conferences and you meet people at the conferences, it's such a small group of people yeah. that they'll easily see if you're interested, if you're engaged, if you're like serious about doing it. You know, th that increases the opportunities of finding work as well. Mm -hmm. And not every niche is going to have a degree, but um, the fact that you found one that that does is awesome. And it's not really about having the degree so much as it is, you know, learning the skills, exactly. gaining the network. Yeah, and I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Um, Cause I know sometimes people get really worried about, you know, I'm in school, how do I, you know, what am I supposed to do? And they either stay completely focused in school, like I'm only gonna learn the skills or, um, but I think in actuality, you have to be thinking about it as school is a networking opportunity. Yes. It's a chance to be starting to do things outside of school. And you don't yeah. have to go to school to do that. But I, I'm an educator. And so I'm obviously pro, you know, higher education, pro university. I feel like it makes it easier. And you're not cold. You're not always cold calling people. You kind of when you're when you're at school and, and you learn about these, um, you know, because your professors bring in professionals to talk about it, or they send you to these conventions or workshops. You are you're you're paying that you know college tuition to get an easier access to that stuff. Um, you could yep. definitely and seek it out yourself, but they make it they make it easier for you. Yeah, and it depends on the topic and it depends on your learning style. Because I know there's some people who just the thought of sitting in a classroom and having to do tests and all that is just like, no way, I'd rather totally. sit on a computer and figure it all myself. But then for other people, I'm the same way. I love doing classes. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I did a business certificate after I finished my master's just for fun. Um, but it was kind of the same thing as what you're going through now where, where you're going, okay, I'm gonna have to understand, there's a legal element to this job that I'm gonna have to understand. For me, it was like there's a business element to this job yeah. I need to understand. Your average uh, uh, front of house engineer today, monitor mixer, um, good chance if you're getting started, you're also going to be a tour manager if mm -hmm. you're trying to tour. So there's there's all these these like side skills that that it's it's not just about audio to be able to move forward. You kind of got to see a little outside the box as to what else you need to do to kind of lay the groundwork mm -hmm. for the garden to grow. Yeah. I... I started to feel kind of, uh, well, okay, so you know my students are like 20 years old, right? And I'm 35. Mm -hmm. And so for me to be going back to school at a time when uh, a lot of the other people might be, you know, 24, 25, a good decade younger than me, I felt kind of weird about that. But the more I think about it, the more I feel like my, my setup for success is higher because I've already been yes. through uh, maybe it's a different career, but it's still semi-related. I mean, I got accepted to the program. Um, I, I've met other people who do this job, although not many. It's uh, yeah, and it, like it reminds me of um, Becca Stoll, who is uh, she's she does uh, a one mixing mm -hmm. work on Broadway, and she even though she could have stayed in New York and started her career in, in Broadway in New York. She went and worked in Dallas. She worked in Connecticut. Mm -hmm. And she said that, that what that brought for her was that by the time she did finally move to 
to be working in New York that she had already got kind of gotten all that the um those emerging years the yeah. just the the process of learning all that stuff kind of goes out of the way the awkward and you can just focus phase. on <laughs> yeah yeah like the learning just learning how to communicate with people and learning how to like um yeah like and if you mess up everyone's going to mess up but it takes a few times of messing up before you can just be like okay deep breath roll with it move on mm-hmm. so if you've already been through all that kind of stuff by the time you're pivoting yeah you're in a great position yeah and that's i think a lot of people especially emerging professionals and i use the term emerging professionals to mean anybody who's kind of still trying to get established but isn't make a living doing audio yet mm-hmm. um i think a lot of people think that they should be more established and it's like no it you are in a period of you're either going to be exploring because you're trying to figure out what you want to do or you're just going to be trying to figure out how to survive and so if you're working at starbucks and doing writing music you know or producing in the evening it is what it is you just keep doing that and you keep going at it and eventually you'll you'll build the client base and you you'll have the support it's like a garden it's like you've, you've laid the seeds and the garden starts to grow and eventually some things will just grow without you having to really tend to it and other things will need a lot of care and attention mm-hmm. that's a wonderful analogy that's like perfect yeah yeah so you've got you've got a really established garden you're just trying to grow rosemary now instead of <laughs> basil <laughs> yep and and plus like i don't know having a master's degree was something that when i was just coming out of college i was so unsure about I was just like, am I going to get a master's in, in sound design? Like, am I going to go for theater? Like, what am I going to do? And then I had that, like, crisis that maybe a lot of us have of, do I even want to be in this industry anyway? <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and I think everyone who's in it kind of has those days, too, where they go, do I really want to do this? Is this really still worth it? Yeah. And, and but that's, again, that's part of having a career is, you know, you're going to have a medical emergency or personal emergency at some point in your life or someone in your in your circle will and you're gonna have to still go to work and Mm -hmm. record that voiceover or do that show or whatever it is yeah it's uh you know the maturity and growing older is a is a wonderful thing i don't i don't think i'd ever want to go back to the 20s to my 20s right (laughs) (laughs) you know it's funny that's i i feel like that's in terms of like sound girls and some of the discussions we're having we we there's obviously been a lot of focus on people trying to get in, but I think that now that there's enough of us who are in our thirties and forties or, you know, there's, there's the women who were just like, you're the legends, you know, that you've been, you've been doing this forever. You're the legends. But then we've kind of got this middle ground too, where it's like, we're, you know, we're established professionals. We've been doing this a long time We're we know what we're doing, but we're not, we're also not really talking about the challenges that we face, you yeah. know, whether it's trying to be a parent and, and work at the same time or you know a parent's ill and and you're having to try to manage your work while taking care of somebody or whatever it is i mean there's just these life things that are different than when you're 24 or 22. the the lack of that discussion i think would really change a lot of younger people's perceptions because i know being in being an instructor being a teacher at a university uh, sometimes we'll get students who kind of give off the vibe of like if you've done so much, why are you here? Like, if you can't, yep. if you can't yep. do teach kind of thing, and you're like, whoa, you don't, 
you don't know me. <laughs> like you have no idea yeah. why I chose this job or why I continue to choose this job. And some of that might be that we have awesome health benefits and your teachers, you know, had health issues. And so now they need a steady job where they can have paid time off or yep. taking care of your aging parents or your own children or, or all of it. So that's definitely not something you can do when you're on the road all the time, or maybe you could, but it's a lot more difficult. So there's so many things like that. And that's a, that's one reason that Becky and I really felt it was important to talk not only about our industry, but also ourselves and like give up a little bit of yeah. our, our secrets uh, on the podcast so that you can tell like we're all real people and we're all humans that have issues. Yeah. And so totally. if like, someone's career yeah. looks different, uh, there's probably a really good reason for it. So there's there's no like and it's, it's normalcy int- you have to follow. Absolutely. And there's a lot of people who I think after, you know, if you think about it, if you've been on the road for years and years and years or, you know, for me, uh, I was I used to do mixed television shows. And while I loved it and it was kind of more prestigious, it was like eight, ten hours a day of just really intense audio and then by the by the time I got home I was just like okay I'm just brain dead and I remember going to a an industry function an industry event and everybody looked burnt out and I was just like this isn't it kind of was a little bit of a wake-up call like wait you know could we have a little better work-life balance or oh that was fine when I was younger like I loved Mm -hmm. it but yeah but if my husband breaks both his arms and you're asking me to go to the studio instead of stay at the hospital with him something's not right totally yeah (laughs) Oh gosh, that, <laughs> that actually happened. Oh my god, that's horrible. Yeah. Oh god. Yeah, I like that. You know, I called this. I called the studio I was working at, and I was like, "I'm literally at the hospital with my husband." You know, and I know I'm supposed to be there for a session. I got yeah. clients waiting for a review. Is there anybody else who can, who can be there? And they were like, "No, sorry." Of course, they no there's someone else. People. Like, the, and the, <laughs> yeah, they just it's that's their problem for not having a backup. Person. Yeah, yeah. And that was the day where I was just I was like, I'm never going to be in that position again. I am never going to miss my kid's birthday. Mm-hmm. And so now, like the job I'm in is because if I want to call in sick right now, they'll be like, okay, cool, we got it. And yeah. there's five other people there. Like we all just shuffle our work around and we all trust each other. So mm-hmm. it wouldn't, you know, one of our mixers recently had a family emergency, and and we're all, you know, we're like, you just tell us, tell us what you need. We're there and. And so we support each other. And that, that to me is more important right now than, than having a credit that might get me an Emmy nomination. Yeah, because the, I mean, the Emmy sounds really awesome, but uh, you still have to take care of your family and yourself. Yep, exactly. The, the Emmy is not going to uh, take care of you in the old folks' home. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it's not going to guarantee you more work. I mean, that's the thing. Like the Grammy, the Emmy, doesn't guarantee anyone's going to hire you. Yeah. I mean, your attitude and the way you handle when you do have those incidents, that's how you get hired again. And that's how people, you know, respect you and want to work with you. Because if you're personally, if you're the workaholic and you work every every weekend and in the middle of the night and you're sending me emails like, why aren't you working hard enough? uh, That's kind of a turnoff for me because I'm like, I'm asleep. I need to sleep to be functional human beings. So. Um, yeah, and the, and the flip side too is like if you if you're working all night and then you send a, a mix a, a mix to a client and something was muted that shouldn't have been mm-hmm. that doesn't make you look good either, right? <laughs> or you send out the stems wrong and then suddenly the show's in crisis because they need you to redo everything because yeah. it doesn't pass QC or you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of like consequences to to that as well. Mm-hmm. 
Oh my gosh, April, this is such a wonderful talk. And I hope you would be into coming back onto the podcast because I feel like we can talk about totally. so much more. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah, I mean, I like barely even touched on stuff in the book. It's been it, like, I, I'm so like, I'm so happy to be able to finally talk about it more and to share kind of what, what I've seen. Awesome. So we'll put all of those uh, links in in the sec- the information section of the podcast uh, so we can hopefully get you some extra sales there. But that yeah. is so exciting that it's actually going to print. That's it's so weird. And it's, it's a You're little done. bit like making it's a little <laughs> bit like working on a movie or an album or something. But it's like, I mean, some of it feels really familiar, but then some of it, but it's also just feels kind of weird at the same time. I don't know. <laughs> Probably because usually sound is yeah because you you worked on it for so, so many long. Times where I was like, oh my gosh, this would be so much easier to just edit this interview as opposed to have to write it and and write stuff around it. <laughs> <laughs> and then all the formatting and photos yeah, yeah. and like, you know, making sure people's names are spelled totally. right. There's one oh I really hope the last name in the book was misspelled. The last version I saw it, I said this needs to be fixed. So like I am, fingers crossed that they actually fix it. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Sound Girls podcast, sponsored by QSC. Join us next week on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Google, or wherever you find your podcasts. For more information, check out our website at soundgirls.org. Looking for more audio-related podcasts? Check out our friends at the Audio Podcast Alliance. To see all of the other podcasts in the Alliance, make sure to visit audiopodcast.org. This episode was produced and recorded by Susan Williams.